Um, Alan's going to come and read to us the passage that we're going to look at together this morning. Um, it's in the Luke's Gospel, chapter 2. So do look that up and uh, let's listen as Alan comes to read it to us. Thank you. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. After the festival was over, whilst his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they didn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature, and in favour with God and man. Keep that passage open. We're going to look at that together. Uh, as I come to pray, why don't you just look at that last verse, and just uh, four words, five words, and Jesus grew in wisdom. Uh, that is my prayer for all of us this year, that we would all grow in wisdom. So let's ask for God's help, particularly as we come to look at this together. Lord God, thank you for your promise in the book of James that if anyone lacks wisdom, we can ask you who gives generously without finding fault. Thank you that you're the God of all wisdom. And we pray that as we look at this passage together now and as we begin this new year, you would indeed grow in each of us greater wisdom than we each have now. And as we do that, help us to look to the Lord Jesus, who is the true wisdom of God. Amen. Well, uh, every New Year's Day, I like looking at the newspapers going on BBC online and having a look at kind of the New Year's resolutions of the year. But I'm always a bit disappointed because they're always the same, aren't they? It's always kind of giving up chocolate, going to the gym. Uh, it's all fairly predictable. Um, some are funny, some are not so repeatable today. Um, but most New Year's resolutions, what, the one thing that frustrates me about them is that most of them focus on what we have to do. What are, we, what are we going to do differently this year? I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to stop eating chocolate. I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to stop being late for work. Stuff we do. That's all good stuff. But actually, very few New Year's resolutions focus on the kind of people we're going to try to become. The kind of people we want to pray that God would make us. And the reason that's interesting is because God is far more interested in the person that you and I become than what we do. 
And yet the world is only ever focused on what we do all the time. Well, last week, this was a slide um, that, uh, if it can come up, there we go. That's a slide that, that came up in Neil's talk, towards the end of his talk. I just want you to take a second just to take that slide in and the words that were on it, if you weren't here. The words at the top there were words that Simeon spoke to Jesus' mother, speaking about this baby, saying that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And Neil made the point last week that Jesus' birth reveals the desires of our heart. You look at all the tragedies of this last year, there's so many different tragedies in the world. Uh, The flooding, uh, the proliferation of ISIS. You could look at terrible things that really disturb you, like child sex trafficking. Uh, all the inequality in the world. But none of those things actually are the greatest problem the world has. I don't say that flippantly. The greatest problem the world has is that too many people don't know who Jesus Christ is. That is the truth. And the reason that that is far, actually far more serious is that coming to know Jesus Christ has a profound impact on our lives now and has an impact all the way into eternity. Christmas Day in the morning service... I ended the talk with a little encouragement from Philip as he spoke to the skeptic, Nathaniel. Nathaniel says, oh, Jesus, he can't be anyone special, in effect. And and Philip just says, come and see. It was an invitation, come and see. And I want to give us all that invitation as we start this new year to come and see. So have a look at the passage. Have a look down to verse 41. Uh, It's an astonishing little passage, really. Verse 41, every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. This isn't like a trip down to Sainsbury's or Waitrose. This is a long trip, over 200 kilometers. It would have been very expensive. It would have been very tiring, probably very hot during the day, very cold in the evening. Here's a map. So that's where they started Nazareth. Below Nazareth is a place called Samaria. You never traveled through Samaria, so you had this big dog leg around it. So you had to cross over the River Jordan and travel around to Jerusalem. So it's a really long, hard, arduous journey. And Jesus and his mum and dad and their relatives took this journey as they were instructed to. It says, verse 42, when he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. Well, that custom was what God had first instituted all the way back near the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Exodus, where he had said to God's people, every one of your firstborn males is to go to the temple to be consecrated. It's a way of setting aside the head of the household to be and saying, this is a household that wants to honour God. So they had gone all the way to Jerusalem for this custom. And then it says, verse 43, After the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they travelled on for a day. That's what we get is the kind of first century equivalent of Home Alone. I watch this film over Christmas, I love it. I don't think I'll ever get tired of it. But there the boy Jesus was, and he was essentially home alone. He was stuck in Jerusalem, and his family had gone off. The way that it worked, his family's travelled in what was called a caravan. That's not a big white thing you pull behind a car. It just means a big group of people. And the way a caravan worked is often the men and the women would separate, and the men would sort of go off first, maybe, all gather together, and they'd be talking about maybe the camel racing Premier League, um, or complaining about how the taxes have been put up this year. And all the ladies are a bit further behind. They were talking about the next recipe they're going to use for their lamb at next year's Yom Kippur. They're perhaps talking about the latest gossip in um, Shalom magazine, which is a first century edition of Hello. (laughs) So there you've got the men and the women, and they're talking and they're traveling. And of course, the men all think that Jesus is with the ladies. And the ladies all think Jesus is with the men. And there's a big group, so they just don't know where he is. And they don't really worry. And they carry on their journey. 
But then it says the family realized their mistake and they returned to Jerusalem. We can imagine what was happening. Mary, the mother, probably sweating, heart palpitations, freaking out, where's her son? You imagine Joseph, don't know what he was thinking. Perhaps he was thinking, actually, it's not that big a deal because it means I get to go to work a couple of days late because I've got to go and get my son. Perhaps he's not so fussed. And then the children who are all traveling and they're told they've got to go all the way back. They're probably sort of saying, are we there yet? You can imagine the scene. But they head back. But look at verse 43. It says Jesus stayed behind. Now, he wasn't in Jerusalem kind of visiting a girlfriend or at some wild party. He wasn't playing truant, trying to not be at school. It says, verse 46, after three days, they found him in the temple courts. Now, that's unusual. It's not the kind of normal place a teenager would hang out, right? But that's where Jesus was. And notice how it goes on. Verse 46, it says, he was sitting among the teachers. He was listening to them and asking them questions. So it wasn't so much he'd been left behind in the temple and then kind of like a little boy left in the supermarket, just sits in a corner feeling sorry for himself. The Bible teaches us that he was very deliberately there sitting, listening, asking questions. Well, here's a question for you. This might puzzle you. The story we had read today is the only thing you find in Luke's Gospel that tells us about the life of Jesus from the age of 12 to 30 when he began his ministry. The next appearance of Jesus is his baptism in chapter 3, and he's about 30 years old there. Why does Luke only tell us about this incident in Jesus' life? age 12 to 30. I mean, there are all sorts of stories you could have told. The story, no doubt, where he was with his father, maybe, in the workshop, and he cut his finger really badly when he was working. Or the story when Jesus was a little boy, maybe, and uh, he was out on the, in a boat, and he kicked a hole in the bottom of the boat, and it sank. Uh, these aren't in the Bible, by the way. But these are the sort of things that a typical teenager might have done. They're stories that he could have chosen to include, but he didn't. Why did he only include this story... And why is he giving us very little detail about the early part of Jesus' life? What's all that about? Well, this isn't kind of gospel amnesia, as if the gospel writers kind of forgot what Jesus did in the early part of his life, so they just fast forward to age 30, because they can remember that bit. And it wasn't so much that maybe Jesus was a naughty boy and they didn't want to record the naughty things he did as a little kid, because that would kind of change our view of Jesus. What we see in the Gospels is these are writers who are writing selectively, choosing what they're going to write. And we often talk about the Gospels being biographies of Jesus' life, but it's not actually that accurate because they're more testimony than biography. So uh, Matthew and John knew Jesus and they wrote their testimony based on knowing him and walking with him. Mark wrote his testimony, his story based on the testimony of Peter. And Luke wrote his story based on the testimony of lots of people. But these were testimonies where they deliberately chose to include certain things and leave out other things. And so we have to ask the question, why this story and why here? What I'd like to do with this passage is to help us to see in it two surprises and then two questions that we can take into this new year. Here's the first surprise, at least from the passage. The first surprise is that Jesus is the great teacher. Uh, Jesus is given all sorts of names in the Gospels. Uh, Two of the names he's given a lot is Son of God and Son of Man. Son of God is a name that helps hold up the fact that he is divine. It emphasizes the divinity of Jesus. He is God. He can do everything that God can do. Calm a storm. Raise a dead person to life. Son of Man is more a name that Jesus chooses to use of himself that emphasizes his humanity. 
that the fact that he's fully human, he has all the emotions that a normal human being will experience. God became a man. Well, in this story, the writer wants to draw attention to the fact that Jesus is human. He's fully human. If you go to the chapter 3, the genealogy of Jesus, notice in chapter 3, verse 38, that he talks about Jesus tracking his sort of family life back to Adam. Well, Adam was a real historical man. And he's doing it to say, and so was Jesus, a real historical man. But Jesus had to be both. He had to be God because the sacrifice that one day he would be had to be perfect. But he had to be fully human because he came to die for you and for me. That is one of the miracles of the incarnation, God who became man. But notice what it says, verse 46. Here's Jesus, a small boy, and he's receiving instruction. And then verse 52, we've looked at it already. It says, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Those phrases don't mean, they're not sort of taking away or detracting from his divinity. The fact that he had to learn something means he's not God. He had to learn something in his humanity. And that's really important for us to grasp. But here's this young boy, he's 12 years old. Many of you have children who are 12 years old. A young boy. And yet, verse 47, it says, everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. I don't know if you ever recognize this face. This little chap came up all over the newspapers back in 2013. He was four years old at the time. His name is Sherwin Sarabi. This guy is a genius. He had an IQ of 160, which is the same as Albert Einstein. Absolute genius. Uh, His family were obviously thrilled to bits, and he was all over the news because of all that he knew. Jesus, no doubt, was very clever, but the passage doesn't draw attention to his intellect. The passage draws attention to his authority. To sit in the temple itself, in itself, was a sign of authority. But I had a look at the next few references you get in the Gospels to when Jesus was in the temple. The first one, here he is, learning, and everyone's amazed at his teaching. The next references you get, have a look at them, comes back in chapter, forward in chapter 19, where Jesus approaches Jerusalem towards the end of his life, and he sees the city, and he weeps over it. He comes to God's own city, and he weeps because he sees so many people who've misunderstood and turned their backs on God. Then a few verses later, you know the famous story, he goes into the temple and he gets angry because people have taken this place of worship and turned into a marketplace as he starts overturning all the money tables. He's angry. And the next time, just a few verses later, the religious leaders question him. But what interested me as I looked at these passages, at each one, Jesus is either exercising his authority or his authority is being challenged. But the amazing thing is, Jesus here, who was being taught, would become the great teacher. So you just go on to chapter 4. Notice what people said when he performed an incredible miracle. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power he gives orders to impure spirits. And they come out. Jesus is far more than just a moral teacher though so many people would say that's all he is. Because the teacher reveals God to us. He has an inherent authority that only God has, which is why everyone's amazed. This boy in the temple, who is he? We've never seen anyone like him before. 
Notice the second surprise, though, in the passage. Jesus is the great servant. Have a look at verse 48. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. There's a kind of real tone of complaint there. Son, what are you doing? The journey's long, hard, expensive. What are you doing? Why aren't you with us? Mary probably was pretty angry. Maybe Joseph, I can imagine, standing slightly aloof, maybe even gave a little wink to Jesus. Oh, there's your mother going on a bit of a rant. But probably deep down, he was pretty cross too. But what is remarkable is the way that Jesus responds. Because the way he responds is actually the first words that recorded that Jesus ever spoke. And in those words, he chose to speak about himself. And notice what he says. He doesn't sort of justify his position and kind of try and explain it too much. He doesn't sort of make up. He's oh, I'm sorry. I, I just wanted to stay here. I'll make up for it when I get home. They're very frantic. Where are you? He's kind of really calm. Notice what he says to them. Why are you searching for me? It's not the kind of response a 12-year-old would normally give to an irate parent. Just very calmly. Why are you searching for me? And it's a rather bizarre question. Why are you searching for me? And they're all going, why do you think? Because we've just walked off for miles and left you behind. And you're 12 years old and you're in a city that we don't know and you're on your own. But he's very calm. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Here, the boy Jesus is not showing disrespect to his parents. Because if you read on, he actually goes on and, and Luke comments that later he was obedient to his parents. He wasn't a naughty little boy. He was obedient to his parents, but he had a higher loyalty that was more important than his loyalty to his earthly parents. And that was his loyalty to his heavenly father. And so it didn't actually catch Jesus by surprise at all. He just says to them, why are you surprised? I'm in my father's house, my true father's house. But why was he in the temple? And why, again, does Luke draw attention to this? Well, remember that the temple was the heart of the city of God. And it represented the heart of the worship of the people of God all the way through the Old Testament, once the, the, the tabernacle became set up in Jerusalem. But there's a very important verse later in Luke's Gospel. Chapter 9, verse 51. It becomes like a watershed. Everything from this point focuses on Jerusalem. Lots and lots of chapters all focused on the end of Jesus' life. And this is one of the markers that's laid down. It says, at the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Rather in the same way that he was resolutely set on being in his father's house. Because what was going to happen in Jerusalem? This was the place where he was going to come and die. This was the place where he was going to come and give up his life. But verse 50, sadly, they didn't understand what he was saying to them. Do you remember last week and that verse that Neil helped us understand? This child Jesus is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Exactly that is happening because Jesus is in the very place they should have been and yet people still didn't understand why. Why Jerusalem? Why the temple? And they hadn't joined up all the dots. Do you know, we often, uh, we often think, don't we, about religion or about the worship of God being about what we do. And here was a really loyal, God-fearing family. And they were very focused on what they did. 
What did they have to do every year? They had to visit Jerusalem. They had to come and worship. And yet the Christian faith isn't about what we do, it's about what God has done. It's not about going to a temple to sacrifice some new sacrifice because Jesus Christ was the ultimate sacrifice paid for you and for me for all of eternity. The true gospel is not about what we do for God, it's about what he has done for us. And the fact that Jesus was in the temple and the fact that he has such a calmness about being in the temple, this was the place he was meant to be. It's meant to speak volumes to you and I because it was this place where he was ultimately to come to give up his life for you and me. Well, there's two surprises. Jesus is the great teacher. Jesus is the great servant. But let's turn those surprises into questions for all of us for this new year. And here's the first question. Will you let Jesus teach you this year? Have a look at verse 46. I'd just like you to focus on one phrase. And that phrase is, sit and listen. We're all very good at being busy aren't we? And it's good to be busy. I bet most of us are not as good at being still, and particularly being still and quiet before God and listening to his voice. It's wonderful to be a busy church, but there's a major danger with being a busy church, that we can end up being so busy that we stop listening and we don't hear the voice of God. And it's so, so important that as we go into this new year with all that we want to do, that we keep listening to God's voice. Here's a few things just for you to think about. Please pray with me for this new Explore course because we want to give people an opportunity to be taught by Jesus, to learn about who he is, for their lives to be transformed. Let's pray that people would come and that it would be a really good few evenings together. How about for yourself? We've got a, a morning of prayer next Saturday morning. I know we're busy, I know we've all got a lot on, But there can't be things that are more important than coming together as a church and committing a morning to the Lord in prayer, particularly at the beginning of this new year. To sit, to be still, to listen to God's voice, to hear from him, to speak to him. That could be the single most important morning you and I have all year. Because at the beginning of a busy year, we just slow down and sit and listen, just like Jesus did as a boy in the temple. I was really encouraged that David shared with us before Christmas the encouragement to get stuck into the Bible in the year. A really good app that you can get on your phone or the book you can buy. Just encouraging us to get into the Bible and read through the whole Bible in the year. A wonderful thing for all of us to do. Uh, If you've never done that, I'd really encourage you to do it. But here's a, a really specific challenge for you, and you'll be one of two. Some of you perhaps have more time than you realize, and you know that you probably only give God sort of token minutes each day to listen to his voice. If that's you, can I challenge you this year? Could you be someone who in the busyness of a week could find a proper amount of time, a kind of half an hour, an hour or two hours to sit quietly with God? Many of you do it all the time already and it's wonderful, but some won't be. And the difference between having an extended period of time with God, listening and learning, that's so, so different to grabbing the five minutes here and there where I'm actually not focusing because I'm just rushing off. I'd really encourage, could you be someone who could find that kind of space in your week? So you're not just looking at things in the surface, but digging deeper this year. It'd be a great thing for you to do. But here's a challenge for someone if you're not that person. Some of you, life is very busy and it's really tough. Could you grab five minutes at the beginning of every day? Just five minutes. You may think five minutes is nothing, but it's something. And it could well be five minutes more than you already have. 
just to reorientate your heart at the start of the day and say, God, this is your day, not mine. And I want to listen to your voice so I can be obedient to you today. Because here's the thing. Have a look at verse 49. That phrase, being in our father's house, literally could translate as being about our father's business. When Jesus was in the temple, he was literally saying to his parents, I am being about my father's business. As we were learning in the evening series before Christmas, our father's business for you and for me is to give all of our lives to honor him. Everything matters to him. So a little challenge for you this year. As you ask that question, will you let Jesus teach you this year? It's perhaps to say to him, we're going to have a bit of time at the end of the service where you can quietly reflect and pray on your own. God, what do you want to teach me this year? What do you want to teach me? Not everybody else, me. And what do you want to help me with? But here's a second question for you. Will you let Jesus serve you this year? Think again about that phrase in verse 49, being about my father's business. What was the heavenly father's ultimate business with Jesus? For the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. The ultimate plan of Jesus, the ultimate business of the Heavenly Father was to send his perfect Son into the world, to die on a cross, so that every one of us can know him. That is what his Father's business was all about. I think it's utterly staggering that the creator of the universe would be interested in wanting to know you and me, interested in loving us, and yet he does, perfectly, every single day. And part of letting him serve you this year is letting him love you this year. I read uh, two books uh, two days ago. I had a day reading, and it was really wonderful. There were two books just about the character of Jesus. They were very simple books, but one of the questions at the end of one of them was this question, will you let Jesus love you? Dead simple. But I spent ages thinking about what that actually meant. I know that for many of you, as you start this new year, you need a huge boost of encouragement. I do too. Perhaps you're fearful as you start this new year. Maybe you're someone who says, well, God could never know me, or he'd never be interested in my life. Or maybe you are a Christian, but you say, but I keep mucking up all the time. How could God ever use me? Let him love you, because he takes you as you are, and says, I take you as you are, and I love you. Perhaps you're feeling very alone, alone in your marriage, alone in your workplace, alone in your life. Let him love you. Because the Bible says Jesus Christ is that friend who sticks closer than a brother. Many here are hurting. You're hurting because you yourself have been bereaved this year, last year, many years before. Perhaps you're hurting from another reason. Let him love you. Because he loves you perfectly. And although he doesn't promise to take away the pain that you're feeling right now, he says, but I'll walk with you. And as long as it takes, however far it is, I'll walk with you because I love you. Let him serve you by letting him love you. And finally, perhaps you've got an attitude in your heart that just frustrates you. Something about your character, you just long for God to change. Well, he won't change it this year by you gritting your teeth and trying harder. He'll change it as his love is poured into your heart. And he transforms you on the inside and gradually your character will be shaped by his So I want to end with this little question for you. As he teaches you this year, and as you allow him to serve you, and part of that is allowing him to love you, 
he will transform the desires of your heart. So from all the ministry team here at the church for this coming year, can I wish us all as a church every blessing from God. And let this be a wonderful year as we fully depend on him, as he transforms the desires of our hearts, and as we see him working through us and in us, in our community, as we pray for lives to be changed by Christ.